You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, the entirely merciful, the especially merciful. Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. Recite in the name of your Lord who created. Created man from a clinging substance. Recite, and your Lord is the most generous. Who taught by the pen. Taught man that which he knew not. No, but indeed, man transgresses. Because he sees himself self-sufficient. Indeed, to your Lord is the return. Have you seen the one who forbids a servant when he prays? Have you seen if he is upon guidance or enjoins righteousness? Have you seen if he denies and turns away? Does he not know that Allah sees? No, if he does not desist, we will surely drag him by the forelock. A lying, sinning forelock. Then let him call his associates. We will call the angels of hell. No, do not obey him, but prostrate and draw near to Allah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. This is Radio Ramadan 87.7 FM and also we are on our website rr365.co.uk. You will be probably be joining us on our Facebook Live as well, uh, which is Radio Ramadan Facebook Live. <coughs> I'm your host Zubair Akram with my guest Sheikh Ridwan Muhammad, 9th of Ramadan and it is uh, 31st of March 2023. Time for iftar is going to be 7.59 p.m. tonight in Glasgow. Uh, surah Alak, uh, 96th Surah of Qur'an. Uh, first wahi, as we know, uh, Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi qalaq. And the conversation is trying to understand how wahi, revelation, uh, fashions one's thinking to uh, for the civilization to be called Islamic civilization. Um, we also discussed in the surah 
how Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam was commanded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Iqra, read. And we, we wanted to discuss, we wanted to understand how could a Nabi who's unlettered, who's ummi, is commanded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to read, where we knew that he couldn't read. He was unlettered. So the dimensions that we try to understand that it is the reading from the heart, it is the reading from the the, the, the other realm, it is reading of what his heart, Allah already knew it was in his heart, and then he had to retrieve that feeling of what was there to be read and to be understood by the rest of the humanity. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Is that how I understand Iqra? Iqra. <laughs> no, well, that's, we had, um, I think, five sessions. That was kind of roughly yeah. some of the points in, um, not essentially in that order, but yes, kind of the understanding of Iqra, why is it important to have revelation? Um, I think mm. it's just so important to understand that, um, now even the term Islamic civilization, mm. it's, it's, a, it's a, a civilization informed by revelation which is universal islam islam is a universal religion we can't restrict it by its name even its name so when you say islamic it's kind of there is a problem there because there's no it's not an ideology this is the big problem i think people have and it affects muslims until this day internationally and nationally locally is that they think of islam as an ideology competing with other ideologies when it's not it's a way of life it's a deen it's it's a contract you have with your creator to act in a certain way and impinges on public life, private life, and so on and so forth. But what the Quran with Iqra starts to do by telling him, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that you have to re retrieve and recite what we have revealed from your heart, وسلم, and not um, read from a book, you know, which is an interesting thing, not to read from a specific parchment which is given in one go to you. Wasalam, that in and of itself is going to be a challenge because obviously we know that it will be a 23 year period you know the Prophet Ali wasalam, will have to um, recite the Quran over a long period of time and he's going to have to um, also have um, what you would say is uh, back on my line actually on your side so um, yeah, there's this idea that it's going to have to be extended over 23 years, so it's going to require patience. Because one of the things you'll know nowadays is people are impatient because they want everything in one go. You see something you need in your day-to-day -day life, you want it right away, you want Amazon Prime, you want the delivery on the same day by 5pm, so you're waiting at the door. Um, everything people want, they want it now, because technology has got to the point where we can we can make that kind of claim. And so the Qur'an comes with a message, essentially that the prophetic model, the prophetic teaching is something that does not come from the sky in one go, which is a big lesson in lots of ways. It's an issue of tadarruj. So tadarruj is what Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyah says, the Prophet ﷺ was sent. You know, if Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyah is a very famous scholar, Hanbali scholar. And if you want to understand a big, you know, broad general idea of what Islam was when it came. If the Prophet came, he said for two things: his his prophecy and his period of twenty three years as a prophet was marked by two big topics. One is um, 
taysir, which is to ease and to facilitate and to and allow people an easier way into connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, taysir. Okay. And then the second thing was tadarruj, which is essentially means gra- gradation, graduality. You know, doing things one step at a time. And the Prophet did that is in line with the Sunnah of Allah, in which Allah creates things in stages. <coughs> Even this chapter, when we come to it, you know, probably in the next couple of shows, when Allah talks about the alaq, you know, the fetus, um, hmm. the fetus is a nine month period of gestation in the mother's womb. It's not. You want a child, you go online, Amazon, and by 5 p.m. you've got the child, you get the milk and you get the nappies and then go, go go ahead. No, it's a period of experience for the woman and it's a period of observation for the husband. So there's this idea of the darruj. And then the child, you know, human humans are unique amongst mammals, amongst animals generally, but mammals as well, more specifically. In the long period it takes for them to socialize, to be self-sufficient. Like a child needs mm. to be brought up essentially to the age of roughly seven to be able to survive by itself. Whereas in the animal kingdom, you're born, you're 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 go, you you leave. Some mm-hmm. um, species have a year, two seasons maximum. That's it. Human beings have this inbuilt connection to gradation, and so the Prophet Ali will be given this two, 23 year period that he doesn't know he's going to be twenty three years, but he's just going to have to be patient with this, and. The things he wants to happen right away, Allah is going to, to going to say to him, for example, La The Prophet wants to collect the Quran, recite it, teach it, um, propagate it. But Allah is saying, La Do not overexert your your tongue trying to promulgate it and teach it and push it out to people. Inna It's upon us to collect it and to promulgate it, to push it out to people. In other words, relax. And this is a big, big lesson. If you think about the seerah, you think about this iqra chapter, it is giving the Prophet a massive lesson. But us as well, this issue of gradation and being gradual in what we're doing, what we do. Everybody wants things right now. And the Prophet said in a very famous hadith, shaytan, that, you know, um, impatience, a lack of, um, you know, um, you know, yeah, impatience is probably the best thing. Al-ajala is to want something right away. I mean, it's from shaitan. You know, even if it's something you want, that's good. You know, the Prophet didn't say, Al-ajala to min shaitan He didn't say, you know, having impatience in evil things is from a shaitan. Or, or, or he just said, said it generally. Anything you do that you want it immediately is going to be from a satanic impulse of mm-hmm. being like a, a, a rub. Because this chapter also talks about by your Lord. One of the big problems with human beings is they want to be the Lord themselves. And that means in all aspects. It means general people in their households. It means scholars wanting their opinions to be taken for granted. Everybody in some way is wanting to have complete control. And one of the things about um, our faith and Imam, in fact, I mentioned about lots of scholars that the, the, the secret of their knowledge was that they were they had in, in, in immense patience, immense um, clemency, and understanding of people's situations, which, which made them great scholars. Not that they were great and destroyed their enemies and knowledge, like the death. And nowadays you have YouTube Muslim speakers who want to destroy other mm. people in debates and put out videos and all this kind of stuff. But 
this 23 years is interesting because the Prophet Ali Wasalam, because it's going to be over 23 years, the first time the Prophet actually, you know, when we, I'll, I'll talk right now actually, the first time the Prophet feels that this is going to take a long time, he 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 falls into a, a, a period of introspection and pain, spiritual pain, which is which is called the period of the, the breaking of wahi, because he receives this revelation and it stops. Mm. Some scholars say it stops for a number of days. Some people say it stops for a number of months. And the Prophet Ali Salat Wasalam, it said that he was dejected by that process. That he's going to have to wait for the next revelation. Even the Prophet Wasalam was wanting everything, you know, essentially to be revealed to him as soon as he was given the knowledge that he was the Prophet of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. And we'll, we'll cover this at the end, but you know, Surah Al Duha, Surah Al Inshirah, all these chapters. Um, are beautiful because they come at the end of this specific cycle of revelation, the first chapter, to give the Prophet ﷺ, con con um, console the Prophet ﷺ and to give him patience and fortitude and to remind him that this is a long journey. And, you know, it's like Aesop's fables, the story of the the the, the rabbit and the, or the hare and the tortoise. It's, you know, as an ummah, we're, we're very much... Of the opinion that it's he who laughs last laughs longest. Mm -hmm. Do you know this? I know, it's, I know it's a kind of common phrase, but that's true. Whoever achieves the result at the end, and for Muslims, essentially, if you laugh and you're happy at the point of your death, you laugh longest. Do you understand? Like mm -hmm. when the sakarat and mode come, and you you have a peaceful exit from the world. Everything you've done before is going to be absolutely irrelevant. If you're a billionaire, successful scholar, successful husband, disastrous husband, disastrous scholar, it doesn't everything's going to be checked in at that point. And if you laugh at that time, you have you have this sense of tranquility that you face your mortality with happiness, knowing that you've done as much as you could. That's that's the greatest, um, you know, for uh, felicity. And that's why the Prophet used to ask for husn al-khatima that Allah allow us to pass away with the best and the most um, accepted of, of passing aways. And so there's there's all this whole story, in, you know, in Sahih Bukhari, there's whole narrations about the Prophet And actually they're not authentic, even though it's in Al-Bukhari. You know, everyone says Imam Bukhari has a Sahih collection and it's in it's in there, the, the whole period of the first revelation. You know, there's a, there is something that, you know, I was asked about a couple of times when I was teaching. People said, look, the Prophet somebody give a lecture and they said the Prophet wanted to, to end his life mm. and he wanted to throw himself off hills and things and I said um, okay how do you know he said oh but I heard the scholars give a talk and he mentioned the Prophet and was so um, he said depressed anxious mm. and he used all these un un unacceptable words for the Prophet and I said look the narration in, in Bukhari that says this is actually not a, a hadith it's actually one of you know technically it's one of the what they call the balagat, the kind of unattached narrations of Imam Zuhri, which are actually weak in general. Mm -hmm. And that was inter interpolated into it. And this, so Muslims think that it's okay to be dejected and it's okay for prophets to be dejected. Whereas prophets are mm -hmm. ma'asum. Prophets know that Allah will protect them. Allah, prophets know that they're on the path of, of truth and they know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not leave them um, without any kind of secure and support, and so 
there's lots of things that come out in this chapter that just need to be sorted out. I think the best one is tadarruj. That is like the big, big lesson that you can learn as a, you know, if you're a business person, you're a parent, you're a teacher, you are, in fact, doing anything. I guarantee anything that you're doing, if, it doesn't matter if you're doing nothing. Tadarruj. Mm -hmm. Like when you cook, imagine you're doing your iftar, you're about to prepare your meal and you're listening to this in radio. Like you've got like five ingredients. Like what are you going to mm -hmm. do? Are you going to follow a recipe? Or are you going to put everything into a pot and put water on or something? Like if you're a cook, one of my teachers, you know, he told me that cooking is all about etiquette with the ingredients. And the, mm. Like, you know, the the water has to go in at a certain point, the oil has to go in at a certain point, the onions have to go at a certain point. If you do if you don't do it, you're being you're being unrespect, you're you're lacking respect for the ingredients. And tadarruj is essentially giving, you know, kind of a place for everything in its in, in at the time it is required. And this is why, mm. you know, the Prophet is 23 years. It was for a reason and it was for to, to strengthen his mission, essentially. Allah says, mm. you, know, why, you know, because the, the Arabs said to him, If only Allah had given him the Quran in one go, like this book falling from the sky. Allah says, We did it so that your heart will be strengthened thereby. In other words, this gradual process of building something up makes it stronger. We know it's in life. <clears throat> so one of the big problems in Muslim Islamic civilization, because you started with Islamic civilization, this chapter, I think, sets the basis for Islamic civilization. Islamic civilization is based upon a gradual, gradual growth, an organic gradual strengthening and growth and concentric strengthening of its ummah generally building upon the shoulders of people that came before them, not somebody coming and smashing everything and then trying to start everything again, which hap has happened so many times in our community, in our ummah, where groups have come and said, okay, we want to do everything better, we want to destroy everything. You know, the last example it will be in people's minds is ISIS. Everyone's a kafir. Everyone is outside the fold of Islam. We are the true people shouting and, you know, decapitating people on, on camera, burning people in cages, Burning Muslims in cages, forget. We're talking about people who, who say la ilaha illallah, the, the very least of it. And so this chapter is all about the, the importance of tadarruj, I think, um, from the aspect of, you know, in civilization. I think that's what, you know, I think people miss when they when they read Iqra, they kind of sense this idea that Iqra is there just to, um, you know, be an introduction into reading and writing hmm. but it's much more iqra bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq it's a surah surah alaq and the, the some of the important things we've discussed uh, the the program is primarily in english and there's a lot of loaded arabic terms that we've used for example kasabi wahhabi tawfiq husn al-khatima um masoom adab Mm -hmm. um, I just want to pick on a couple of them today, uh, just for, for for next few minutes. Kasabi and Wahhabi. Some people have asked. You, you've started this conversation, Kasabi Wahhabi, and people don't understand what these two words even mean, and how it is relevant for us to be discussing these two terms in context of this surah, mm -hmm. Kasabi and Wahhabi. 
Oh, I think you started the conversation, not me. I think mm. you, you, you I, I just, I, I just carried on the conversation based upon your question. But then I, I did tie into the chapter, which is Allah subhanahu wa taala. You know, Wahhabi is from Allah. Allah is al Wahhab. Inna ka anta al Wahhab. Allah, indeed, you're the one that bestows, gives. So imagine that. I mean, it comes from the sky and it comes to you. So what do you do? Nothing. You just wait. Like if iftar. If Allah is al-Wahhab in the way that is a misunderstanding, you're just waiting for iftar to come and fall on your in front of your on your mm. you know in front on your table. That's Wahhab. Wahhab, wahhab does not do uh, Yeah, so everything that is given. Yeah, al-Wahhab. And the other aspect is is kasbi. Kasbi essentially is your role in in having what you have. So when you when you have something. How much mm. of it is, is your rule and how much it is Allah's rule? Mm. Ultimately, everything comes from Allah. But what your rule is to choose exactly how it comes to you. Like mm. You can get fed. You can get you know everything you need in your life. It's a question of how you acquire it. It's a question of what what path will you do to do that? You know, it's going to happen. Mm. You're going to die at a certain point. You're going to live for a certain number of years. You're going to end up in a certain place. Now your role will determine how that plays out. So in this chapter, why it was important is Allah is telling the Prophet O Messenger of God, you have to read. Hmm. Read, recite. Okay? Not relax and hmm. allow Allah to take over your, your being and you and you just recite it. You have to actively acquire recitation. You have to do it. But never think this was the Wahhabi. Sorry, the Wahhabi. Sorry, the Freudian slip there. The, the Wahhabi. Huh? Yeah, just hold your hand like that. The Wahhabi. I, I never use that term when I'm teaching. I'm very respectful of people. The Wahhabi element is it, you cannot risk, you will not be able to have the power to recite unless you do it by using the key that Allah will give you through His name, His blessed name. Iqra, Kasbi. Bismi khalaq. Through the name of your Lord, that is the thing you have to add in. Like when you're making a meal, that's like the the um, the element that you need for the the flour to rise. It's like mm -hmm. yeast, you know. Like yes, yes. you make yeah. bread, the yeast, no yeast, no no bread. Is this? Yeah. Is this flat bread? It's it's not the same thing. And so that's the reason why the, the, this theme of wahhabi and kasbi is so is so important because a lot of people. Um, don't get the balance right. The balance is that you have to try your utmost. And I gave the example of Erdogan yesterday. He makes all these, does all these massive projects, but despite mm -hmm. doing all the planning, research, development, investment, and um, you know, following through to to you know the marmorai. You know, the marmorai goes between Asia and, and Europe. Something that used to take two hours to do now takes uh, seven minutes. No, in six mm -hmm. minutes. It's five, it's, uh, so when he opened it, which is actually a, was a dream of Abdul Hamid the second, Rahimahullah. The last, the last of the great mm -hmm. Ottoman Khalifas and um, that was his dream and he fulfilled it but when he did the opening ceremony he said Hadi Bismillah you know I do I start we start with the name of Allah like we're going mm -hmm. to start using it in the name of Allah otherwise it's futile mm -hmm. and so that in Islamic civilization when we're talking about Islamic civilization that's it he's built for the first time uh, a bridge between Asia and and Europe underneath the Marmarai the water, yeah. waterway 
And despite that energy and money and cement and, and construction and, you know, whatever that took, he still will not start it unless he says it's under the banner of this, this building civilization. Because everyone will hear that they started with the name of Allah. Like we starting our journey um, with the name of Allah. And that's the, that's just straight out of the Quran, you know, you know, it's kind of um the light motif of the Quran that everything starts with even in fact even Iqra, the chapter, you know, it has the name of Allah. It's like the thing, the key that opens it, but it's not the chapter doesn't have Bismillah at the beginning. Um, and yeah. it's one of the proofs of Imam Malik that um that Bismillah is not one of the, the verses of the Quran, as opposed to Shafi'ah, because Shafi'i says that Bismillah is the beginning of every chapter of the Quran, but this the first revelation was Iqra. It wasn't Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Iqra. And the Prophet wasn't told to recite Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. He, he was told to recite Iqra. And, you know, this whole discussion, anyway, that's a fiqh discussion. I won't go into that today. But the point remains, these terms like Kasbi and Wahhabi, terms such as Tadarruj, which is doing things gradually, are the big terms. These are kind of big titles. And Tadarud specifically is, I think, one of the most important ones in this day and age for Muslims to understand. Regardless of mm. whether you're thinking high level or low level, whether you mm. think of making your food for iftar or you're trying to rule a, a nation, Tadarud is the, the touchstone of success, spiritually mm. and also in a worldly sense, inshallah. For, for, for everyone, like for individuals, for communities, for societies, for nations. Um, tadaruj. So, tadaruj, inshallah, we'll discuss in a little bit more detail uh, after this ad break, inshallah. So, Surah Alaq, 96th Surah of Quran, uh, my guest, Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad. Um, we've touched upon this very important concept of tadaruj, graduation, shall I say. Yeah, doing things gradually. Gradation, gradation. Gradation, gradation. Graduation so when you, when you, um, you, you come at university. Yeah. Gradu so, so. You're graduating. That's true. I mean, it's the same route because you're going from primary, secondary, and then you're moving on gradually. And yeah. that's a very good point because Iqra doesn't make sense unless you do it gradually. Mm -hmm. So it is. It is. <laughs> it is graduation. Sorry. It is graduation and it's gradation. Yeah, and because we do, we do mountains, we know, you know, this is a second wind. This is a third oh, of wind. course. Yeah, you're an expert. Yes. <laughs> One of your many it's, talents. It, it, it's, it's a journey, and it's a journey, and it, it ought to be done gradually with gradation. Uh, Read Ramadan reflections with Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad, uh, Surah Alaq, ninety-six Surah of the Quran. Iqra bismi Rabbika ladi khalaq. Iqra, read in the name of your Lord. Read in the name of your Lord. Both are important. Uh, the first part of this ayah is a command to the Prophet that he has to read, but he can't read. But he's also to read in the name of his Lord. And how he reads makes us kind of understand the dynamics of understanding Wahi and how we can understand the connection between ourselves, our fellow human beings, and our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And how all this understanding helps us understand how to live a life with communities. And the one, one of the most important concepts uh, which has come to fore is 
tadarruj. Things are done because this wahi that started with ikra and ended with unnas, or, or um, probably not, not in that order, uh, Quran that ends with th- this word, unnas, was given to Prophet والسلام, in 23 years, gradually. Um, and as Sheikh Rizwan said before the break, uh, with gradation. And that principle is true for us as individuals in every aspect of our life, for our communities in every aspect of our life. One thing that we've been taught is that Muslims who once led the civilization, the human civilization, are now lost. And when they are lost, scholars have written, scholars have uh, raised movements uh, for people to understand and how this message needs to be shared with people, with the, the message of Wahi. And how that is done, there is a debate. Will people of today's age still share the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a gradual form? Or is it now complete and people should just accept as is, is my question. So, I mean, Tadaruj is important. It's, it's, I mean, the reason I mentioned Tadaruj, it came up, I think, because... I just don't know why it came up. It came up somehow. Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi, he's one of his two mm. main things about the prophetic period is Taysir and Tadarruj. The thing of Tadarruj is that it is, it's, a, it's one of the sunan of Allah. Sunan meaning basically it's the way that Allah makes things happen. You cannot go outside how God has created the natural forces. You can also not change the way that God has created the human being, his psychological makeup, the physiological makeup. You cannot, you cannot push a body harder than it's made to be pushed you cannot um, use natural forces and laws beyond the the boundaries that they are created to um, work within and that's important for teaching people as well and so I was you know I was giving a talk in Birmingham five six years ago and there was a stall there and there's people talking about establishing Khilafah and I started speaking to them, and then they were very interested. Somebody's coming to speak to them, so I started speaking to them, and this, and I said, um, you know, they had a book, Imam Mawardi's Ahkam Sultani, a very famous book about how to, you know, the theory of Khilaf, let's just say, very his most famous book. And I was discussing with them and said, yeah, we need to establish Khilaf, and this is the book that we need to use. And I said, you know, that he wrote other books on the same topic but from different perspectives. Hmm. And they said, no, no, this is the most important book. And I said, look, he wrote three books. One of which was, um, uh, if I remember correctly, Ta'sis another, which is essentially about why do people need a Khilafah? Like, why do, you, why do people need, not a Khalifa, like a Muslim guy? It's why do people need leadership? Why do people need order? Why do we need safety, security, borders, armies? Why do we need a civilization, essentially? He said, mm-hmm. basically, it's to, at a philosophical level, it's to do tarbiyah of the nafs to stop people encroaching on other people's rights. And so it's essentially a process of tasawwuf. And so that's the that's the right at the core of it. He wrote another book, Alam al-Nabuwati, a book on the prophetic way of establishing Islam. And he talked, I think, about four, three or four, I think four um, levels. When the Prophet came, he came to do certain things, but he did it gradually. This whole idea of, first of all, inculcating this idea of tawheed, which is this whole idea: where is what's the purpose of life? Where does everything come from? What's the what's the role of Allah in creation? What's your relationship to Allah? That's tawheed. And then 
the, your then responsibility to that creator, which is worship. The second level is worship. And so mm -hmm. the devil was essentially, they weren't told to worship until they understood Tawheed. And then they were told to worship. And also within that was that murder is haram, stealing is haram, lying, uh, uh, you know, using false pretenses is haram, unethical, you shouldn't be done. Mm -hmm. That was inculcated. Then, then it started to become, okay, you worship Allah, let's do it together. Mm -hmm. Let's do it. Ramadan together, everyone knows it's Ramadan. Everyone knows the, the Jum'ah prayer is in the mosque and everyone goes to it. And then right at the end of it was the, the perfection, which is to give details. If somebody passes away and they have this wealth, where does it go to? Inherit. Mm -hmm. If somebody has wealth and they want to invest it, how do they invest it? If somebody wants to get married and there is an issue about lineage or something, how do we sort that out? So all the detailed rulings were right at the end to Darruj. And this is the same person who now people say we need to apply his book. You know, we need to just take it into a country and apply it. It doesn't work. Mm. So one of the great wisdoms of our, of our Sharia and scholars who have wisdom acknowledge this is that scholars teach with wisdom and they, and they, they, they understand things through the, the lens of the, the Sharia as it was and mm. that's something that's missing I think nowadays we have this culture of having everything right at, right at the moment you want it a culture of you know intellectual extremism where people refuse to accept a, a counter narrative, counter argument counter position and it, it will create I mean if it relates to Ummah it creates a very difficult situation an unbearable situation I think Hmm. So, Sheikh, there is this uh, Tadaruj where uh, we, we find scholars like uh, even Shah Waliullah Dehlavi uh, use the word order, uh, Maulana Maududi uh, in this day and age, and there are others who have advocated the fact that unless there is an Islamic order, Muslims as a community have failed in their duty. There has to be a group within the group to establish the order, establish Khilafah, establish a place where Muslims as a model can stay and they can say they're, they're staying by the by the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm -hmm. And then there is these characters, for example, Ibrahim Rasul uh, in Cape Town. He's been a premier, he's been an ambassador, he's been a very close um, uh, colleague of uh, Nelson Mandela. Uh, one of the most eloquent people I've met like he quotes Quran, Hadith, and he's kind of, a, you know, a career politician, uh, a statesman. Uh, and yet Muslim community has not accepted him as someone who they could be proud of. Even within South Africa, you know, he's really uh, uh, criticized for some of his, uh, you know, understanding of Islam and how his daughter got married to a, a Hindu, for example. And he's heavily criticized. So then you have now a very recent thing happening. You know, a, a young lad that we all know, uh, Hamza Yusuf. Uh, he, through um, his political career, is now the first minister of Scotland. Now, and there is heavy criticism on why, while he um, is advocating the rights of a community which. Muslims don't necessarily agree with 
and just this aspect. And he is not wholeheartedly acceptable figure. It's not something I would have liked that he his victory or his not victory his taking the office should be rejoiced. He's a Muslim, but that never happened. It wasn't unanimous. He was more criticized in Muslim community than he was anywhere else. Mm. How, how do you see this in, in the backdrop of Tadaruj? Is it how Muslims have failed to understand the concept of Tadaruj? So I, I think, um, you know, it's a touchy topic, I don't want to go into it, mm. but I think every, last night I was bombarded with messages. And I'm not somebody that people bombard with messages. People are very wary of sending me anything because they know I'll be very, very upset with them. And but the, last night I got so many um, messages. And and the first thing was actually a video. So I actually decided to watch this video of a person. So it started off with this lion's face, and then this person, YouTuber, you know, basically making takfir, make, saying that Hamza Yusuf is. A disp- I mean, not just saying it, he was barking it. It was it was quite mm. ferocious. And I was watching it and I was thinking, and I then looked at the numbers of people that viewed it and then I looked at some of the comments and I thought, well, there is a community there that is doesn't understand Tadaruj mm. and is 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 at the kind of infancy of liter- Islamic literacy and him himself, I mean, I'm just going to say it mm. for what it is, illiterate in the Islamic if he's doing takfir of disowning or um, discommunicating, you know, um, taking a person out of the fold of Islam, he needs to know the process through which that takes place, which is qada, and there's certain rules and certain processes that take place. And then I listened to actually the, the thing that he mentioned was the reason why, you know, Hamza Yusuf, who's now the first minister of Scotland, as you said, um, is, a, is a kafir, is that he, he answered a question, which is, you know, he was asked, and I watched the whole clip actually three or four times, and I, I, what I, my own conclusion of it is that he made uh, an unintentional blunder because he, you know, what I got from it is that he said that I've said twenty times, twenty-five times the same thing, and he said no, but he's never said that in public. This is the only time he's ever said it, or con- or conceived to have said something. It's been construed as he said, gay marriage or gay sex is not a sin. I don't think if if I was a, sitting as a as a qadi on that case. I wouldn't say that he has a case to answer if he says, look, that, that was an inadvertent uh, mistake. I mean, the thing is, as a politician, you have to realize that you have to be prepared and you have to understand the messaging that you, you give out. And it should be very, very clear. And in a sense, he was giving mixed messages in the interview and he was saying, I can't change what's in religious text. Was he saying that he wants to change religious text? I don't think he was. Did he? Did, do I think he was convinced and intentionally saying that gay sex is not a sin? I don't think he wanted to broach the topic. It was the way that the interviewer, you know, interviewers are famous. I mean, if you've ever done live TV, I did big question many times, and, and Nicholas Campbell, Nikki Campbell, always just try and trap me. And it's a way you have to be able to engage with a question and take it to where you want it. Mm-hmm. But the interesting is that the community doesn't realize that this person. You know, I know him, um, yeah. you know, at a distance, not very closely, but over, you know, uh, one of the presidents of the Gumsa Muslim Students Association, active in the anti-war coalition, a very active Muslim through his youth, active in Muslim youth work, um, practicing, you know, everything that I know I've heard of about him, 
from very well-known um, family in Glasgow as well, very religious, yeah. very kind of respected, you understand? So yeah. the so it did shock me that that people can be taken in in this kind of storm of controversy, which is again in the in the internet age, um, explodes into this kind of um, kind of um, you know kind of um, unabased um, you know kind of madness. It's interesting that we lose sight of a number of things. The first thing he's a politician; he's not a scholar. Now, even mm -hmm. if he said something that is known to be unacceptable in the Islamic faith, let's just say that. Um, who, who, why do we have to listen to him? Do you listen to him or do you listen to a scholar? And one of the aspects of this is also the fact that religious voices and, and scholars uh, cannot really complain about anything else if they have not been you know, at the forefront of these discussions in the first place. Because what his position, I know this, I spoke to him, this was around about 2014 when the, the gay marriage bill was coming in, and myself and um, Malna Habib Rahman actually went to Scottish Parliament to meet the, the, the then Justice Minister about this issue, about mm -hmm. the whole issue of making marriage a, a, a shared term between um, gay couples and, and, and heterosexual couples. And he said, look, the issue for me is a, a wider question, which is unless you, you secure rights for all minorities, we as a Muslim minority will not have any rights. And so at that point, I think he had a point. And I think at that point, um, minorities generally, they were roughly at the same place in terms of um, prejudice, in terms of hate crime, in terms of pressures on them and being sidelined from communities. I think there is a case that if Muslims want to live in this society and they are here and they've not left, you know, our grandparents and great-grandparents came and they intended to leave but didn't leave, for most of the people that are kind of from a South Asian context, the fact that they've stayed and there's actually nowhere they can go means that you have to establish yourself here. And now the Tadaruj discussion is that do you then disengage with politics? Mm. So if you're saying that, then do not go to your, you know, then in insist that you, the people you go to will be people who rule and 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 legislate based upon their own interests, not sometimes your interests as a minority. To have a voice there that understands the Muslim position, I think is something that we we ignore at our peril as a community. Mm -hmm. Leave aside the religious aspect of this. And he's not a Khalifa. I mean, the funny thing is that Muslims would have wanted, I know these people, because there's people there like quite a clownish position, but Oh, he's he's a Muslim. He's become the 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 first minister of Scotland. He should, you know, declare a khilafah or something. Mm -hmm. There is people as naive as that in our community, mm -hmm. not a minority, a majority. That he should, you know, call for you know implementation implementation of some kind of Islamic ruling or aspects of Islamic ruling. Um, but his own opinion, I mean, about legislation. No, are, are, we, are we are we saying that? Uh, a Muslim politician, if he holds the the majority view of the prevalent view on morality, whatever that may be, should not be criticized. No, no, I, I'm saying that if if his messaging is consistent, what, what I know from the past is that he said mm -hmm. that he doesn't allow his own specific morality to affect how he legislates. In, a, in other words, you to understand what he's saying, you have to understand what, how politics works. If I give a fatwa, you have to understand how fiqh works. Mm -hmm. You have to understand how the lobby groups work. You have to understand how pressure groups, you have to understand how the, the committee system works in, in politics. 
And I know him, himself, he mentioned this to me many times, that if Muslims are serious about this, they can help Muslim, you know, let's say Muslim mm -hmm. politicians by having, employing people that are lobbying in parliament day in, day out. Yeah. If they really want to help and not put people into a situation where they have no, no other uh, option except to, um, you know, go with the lowest common denominator, let's just say, yeah. they have to put that effort and they have to put the funding in. They don't. I mean, at that point, um, the Muslim community widely, and I'll say scholars, Muslim or national organizations, umbrella organizations, have no right to, you know, scapegoat somebody if they themselves have failed. I'm talking about activists. I'm talking about politicians. I'm talking about scholars. I'm talking about um, imams. I'm talking about umbrella organizations, all of which have failed. And all of a sudden they wake up between eating their biryani and then they start to say, well, we need to lynch this person in public. Yeah, and I, I, my issue is that it shows a lack of. If you're doing a video, that's not showing fortitude. That's just showing cowardice. Mm -hmm. I mean, anyone can sit. I can got camera here. I can do videos every day. But the issue is in the real world, and, and if you know your Islamic history, you'll know exactly what I mean. In Islamic civilization, for fiqh, there's terms. Qanun is a term for law. There's Sharia. There is hukuk. Um, there is there's all these terms that relate to how law was applied because of the situations which sometimes you couldn't help but legislate outside the realm of Islamic law because of the, the, mm -hmm. the local situation. And the Ottoman Empire is very famous. Suleiman the Magnificent, mm -hmm. that you, you know, and Erturul, who everyone loves to watch, and Uthman is his son, and all the Ottoman Empire, Khalifas, all ruled by rulings which were not legislated in Islamic law specifically. But they were, if you understand that Sharia is much more embracing, you have ideas mm -hmm. like orf, local custom, you have ideas like istihsan. Islamic law is an extremely complicated um, system. And it's there mm -hmm. to not to judge in the things that are clear. This is what people don't understand. It's not to judge in the things that are clear. Everyone knows the things that are clear. It's mm -hmm. to judge in the things that only specialists will be able to um, make the right judgment on. And if his judgment politically is that... Um, that our best option as a Muslim minority is to is to throw our hat in with other minorities. I personally think that's a wrong political. I think it's a complete mistake. I think it's it's um, it, it it's a it's a it's a it's a mechanism through which we will be disenfranchised as a community because the minority, which is the LGBT minority, and I've talked I've taught a twelve mm -hmm. session course on this. I've lectured on this many times. The LGBT lobby will not stop until. Religious minorities are are deprived of their own individual rights, and that'll come out in issues around things like convention conversion therapy. That'll come out in terms of a parents' right to educate their child in the way that they want to educate. So all these things, I think po politicians, and this is including Hamza Yusuf, have not factored in, is that at a certain point, and this is I've done a whole two lectures on this actually in 2019 on the ideological foundations of this. They will not. Um, remain static at gaining equal rights. They will insist upon oppressing the other minorities in a gradation as well, because there's yeah, gradations seeing, of minorities. But but seeing that and then trying to engage with and tackle this, mm -hmm. there, there is you require a lot of wisdom. You require a lot of understanding of the darroots. You require mm -hmm. focus of where you want to go with your faith, your understanding of Sharia. And what is what his intent is for 
a minority group living in the West. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so is, that's a good point. So my disagreement, a very stern disagreement with people like Hamza Yusuf and other politicians in that situation is that they formulated their conviction in all minorities being together, I think, about 10 years ago. The world's moved on. And the and I, I when I did the course on LGBT issues, I did a whole t- discussion about the, the gay international, for example, like Turkey. Turkey um, unilaterally left the Istanbul Convention, which was about, it was about women's rights, but essentially it was used as a vehicle to push in LGBTQ NGOs into Turkish fabric of society. Now, Turkish... Turkish comparison between, I mean, sorry, Turkey, an empire, it was a, a country, a power, and then here we have individuals, like third generation, just making some progress and getting into somewhere which is visible, and that's all there is. So mm-hmm. maybe the, the, even for our community to understand that the comparisons are unfair. Yes, no, so my we, point. My point is this: there's inconsistencies in his thinking that does not justify the, the attacks on his religious conviction, on him as a person, and on the the sacrifice that he has made. Meaning, no, I'm talking about like monetary, whatever. I mean, I'm mean, talking about conviction and sincerity. I know he's completely sincere in what he's doing. Like the fact I have a political difference with him is one mm. amongst many people who have a difference with many other people. That's my analysis. My analysis may be completely wrong. My my my, my right as a Muslim scholar is to to kind of flag up issues where I think Islamic law and public policy are uh, out of sync, and it's mm-hmm. not in our interest to do certain things. That's separate. I mean, that's separate. I think yeah. the the great um, tragedy of this whole exp- episode is that a person who was brought up within a very a very kind of flourishing Muslim household. Muslim community with Muslim friends and has been active at every single point in the betterment of our community and has at his core a, a very clear um, conviction about bettering society in general and the Muslim community because they go together, that that person has been lynched in public. And people are then just sharing kind of these random YouTubers clips about him not being a Muslim. Like, well, how... You know, the dangerous thing here is the Prophet said in very Sahih, very Sahih, is whoever says that a certain person is a kafir, then that is true of one of them. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? Because that you take that sword out, the sword of, of excommunicating somebody, that's going to hit somebody's neck, metaphorically. And, it's very da- and if you share it, you're also partaking in it. So this is very dangerous. This is why the Darwaj is very important. Such, such a sweet important. example uh, that Sheikh gave of trying to understand adab. Even cooking a meal is adab. You know, having ingredients, having the adab of how ingredients will follow the next to make a make a good meal. And adab is at the core of this. Adab is at the core of how you. Um, engage with this episode that Hamza Yusuf is now First Minister of Scotland. Yeah, but the thing is, look, if if you want to know the Islamic position on on the the, the act, let's just say the act between two people of same mm-hmm. sex, you ask a scholar. You don't ask Hamza Yusuf. And the mm-hmm. thing about the whole interview was that he was asked by a, and it's actually a, it's an example of 
religious persecution. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you're not allowed to ask a person to leave their faith, which essentially he was asking to do. And the fact yeah. that he made it, you know, um, a blunder in trying to be, I think, probably trying to give a, a, a kind of a, a kind of complex message in a soundbite came out completely wrong. Mm -hmm. And the reason I'm saying that is because he said he said it so many times. He's not. So whatever he says many times is that he doesn't allow his religion to affect how he legislates. That's his prerogative. Yeah. As a citizen of, the, this, of this country, an elected member of, of our, our, our devolved parliament, that's his right. Um, and if somebody, the thing is, if somebody else, and I was speaking to somebody yesterday after Tarawih, and he was, he was, he said his father's very famous actually in, in America. He's, he's in, in his community, he's built like seven mosques, and they were building mm -hmm. another mosque. And then he was sitting amongst, he said, the Ammo, he's Egyptian. So, mm -hmm. and he said, I was like 21. I said to my father in the, in the group, I said, why do we need another mosque? And his father looked at him in front of everybody. He said, what have you done? Exactly. He, he said, my father embarrassed me in front. And, and he says, to this day, I'm embarrassed because everyone knows my father embarrassed me in front of everybody. Okay, you don't want to build another mosque. Let's see what you can do. Like these people that say, okay, you know, whatever they're saying, okay, go for it. We'll give you, you know, the next 15 years of your life um, having to prioritize how you sacrifice day in, day out, and then connect, have your connection with Allah at the same time. Because the, the most kind of sad thing about this is that Hamza Yusuf obviously has a deep faith in Allah and the Messiah, and to question that for him would be very hurtful. So there's all these aspects that you have to think about that the people who who are so open to talking, and this is why people don't talk in front of me, they always send me kind of through a, a second mm -hmm. person to speak. It's embarrassing because I'll say, well, what are you doing? Leave okay. it to me, leave it to another scholar to discuss on the intricacies of Islamic law on this position. What are you doing? And the, the, the answer that comes back is, you're doing nothing. You're, you're reading books and giving le lectures, nothing, that's nothing essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what have you built? Like, what have you sacrificed? And essentially that is, when the Prophet is given he's told he's going to have to sacrifice for the long term. 23 years, he doesn't know it, but it's going to be 23 years, it's going to involve heartache, it's going to involve his, his own family being ripped apart, his own relationship with his wives being ripped apart, it's being him being subject to um, smear campaigns by the munafiqeen, it's going to be him unable to eat because of the, you know, his, the Prophet's hair going white. You know, there's various chapters that came that turned the Prophet's beard, not his 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 kind of hair. Um that's a metaphorical thing. It kind mm -hmm. of he said it made him age. Mm -hmm. Now he's going Allah is allowing that to happen. And it's a test. I mean, if I was to speak to Thomas, so I'd say this is a test. You need to rectify your connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you only you know what that is. And mm -hmm. the the other aspect is that, you know. The, the community is not just the people that make the noise in the community. Do you understand? So, you know, at all points we make dua for people that have a lot of responsibility, our, our scholars and our, our you know, um, leaders. We always make dua for them because if they, go, if they go right, the whole community goes right. And if they go wrong, the whole community goes wrong. And this is, I think, um, the whole point of when we're talking about revelation and the importance of it, we always put it at the core of everything, that this is what tell, our revelations, revelations tells us, that if the intention and the core of our community is 
is right, it'll be rectified in a, in a good way. If it's not, then obviously, you know, you know, everything goes wrong. And we pray to Allah for tawfiq for the tawfiq for the community and to give it a sense of perspective over and a lack of superficiality over its religion. And that's very un, 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 unnerving for me to see people looking at religion as a very superficial thing and mm. a label that we need to use and, and promote. Whereas, you know, throughout our history, I mean, if you wanted to we'd go through a whole session on the, 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 the ambiguity of Islamic civilization itself yeah. on everything, even gender. I mean, you know, the discussion in Pakistan is happening about the transgender movement, which is not a transgender, it's actually a specific yeah. segment. Yeah. Exactly. How nuanced that is, and they've been given um, a third gender right. Even that, I think scholars in Pakistan don't understand it, by the way, I'm just saying. They, but they, the they point don't. is, it's a very complex culture Islamically that we have, civilization. I'm not going to talk about it here, but you know the, the relation between a sheikh and their murid, you know, it was expressed in poetry, that which for most people would be, you know, very dodgy. Mm, mm, you know mm, what I mean. Mm, I'm yeah, not going to go yeah. through it, but the qawalis and the kind of relationship that's being the words being used to express it. We have a very rich civilization, and scholars didn't condemn it. And the the problem we have is that we're coming into a postmodern age where we're told to make everything black and white, and everything's not black and white. Jazakallah khair. Reflections. Uh, we just, I think just gone over a bit of uh, over time. At seven fifty nine is the iftar today.